just going through the things we know the Scriptures say. And I'm going to hit on things like Brent's question, and, and we'll just raise some of those great, great issues. Um, make no mistake about it, the country really needed a reformation and industrial revolution. I'm trying to report the facts as they were. Our country was in trouble, as, as it periodically gets, and it will be again. Anytime we turn away from teaching, and they turned away during the Industrial Revolution, uh, we needed a reformation in our country. The desire to spark it, you know, some of the churches just say we need to go back to sound biblical teaching. The, the one group decided they needed to have the spark of the early church, and they started doing all the... They just kind of wanted to be the early church. And they did a lot of the things of the early church. A lot of them were right. Some of them they were questionable. But you can see the passion behind people wanting to be excited about Jesus and thinking he's the only answer. So uh, as I share those things, I'm not really sitting in judgment. I'm just trying to report history a little bit. Because, you know, Watermark is an experiment too for us. It's church done differently than a lot of people do churches. And we're going to be ridiculed, and, we'll, and that's okay. But we also see a lot of people really encouraged and taking ground in Christ. And, and that stimulates us to continue the, the fight. And that's all I would ask of you guys this morning. Just keep pursuing the Word of God for your instruction, for your teaching, for your, your uh, uh, management of your life. You know, let it be informed by the Scriptures. Where it's clear, embrace it. Where it's gray, relax. You know, there's there's a lot of room in the, in the gray that uh, we don't break fellowship over. And I'll make I'll close with some of those comments. Uh, as an elder, you know, I'm the keeper, one of the keepers of the the doctrine of our church. And um, there's just certain things I'll die for, and certain things I won't die for. And I'm telling you, there's a lot about what I'm teaching today I would not die for. I've had way too many good brothers and Christ, sisters in Christ. They do not see this subject the way I do. Uh, and I've loved to challenge them on the Scriptures because what I want to be careful of is they don't make it say something that the Scriptures say is absolutely not. But there is a gray area, and we'll hit that here before long. So I'll finish that stuff on history to say the, the, the church was definitely in need of a reformation. All right, let's go through some of these facts. Here's what I'd like to do, and we'll have a, a, a little discussion on questions down the road. Go through these uh, the things we know that we can stand on. Uh, number one is that in the Pentecost of Acts 2 was different than the spiritual gift of, of 1 Corinthians 14. We know that the Acts 2 is a sign to the unbelieving Jew. Everyone spoke in it. No one asked for it. No one tried to define it. It just happened. It was a sign from God. When you talk about the tongues as a sign that Paul writes about, he describes it as a spiritual gift. Okay? And we'll define that. The Scriptures will define that for us here in a minute. But we need to know that one of the facts that we know that Acts 2 is not the same as 1 Corinthians. Okay? The use of tongues. So we get another, another fact here. Uh, tongues were foreign languages spoken by people who did not know the language. We we were were convinced that the tongues of the of the passage in Acts and in First Corinthians, Corinthians as a spiritual gift 
to the church is a foreign language, is an intelligent language. And then we can, uh, that's exegetically just as sound as we can package anything. It is understood. We let Scripture define, use its own definitions, and by its own definitions, it is a language that is understood. Okay? Let's go to it, because there are more fun things to talk about here in a second. How about this then? It is an absolute fact that there was great confusion in Acts 2 with everybody speaking and hearing different languages. The confusion of many tongues in foreign languages led some listeners to believe that they appeared drunk. It's a fact. It's in the Scriptures. It is also a fact that Peter used this confusion, this sign, to share the Gospel. That's a fact. It fulfills the very definition that Paul even says in, in chapter 14 that there is, that tongues are to be assigned to the Jews, to non-believing Jews. Well, Peter took advantage of this sign and shared the gospel, a great gospel presentation. By the way, if you're looking at how to share your faith and what elements to include when you share the gospel, look at what Peter told the, the unbelievers. He told them just the essentials. And it didn't include all the other preferential, th- uh, the, the uh, deals on the periphery that make up the Christian journey. When you're sharing the gospel, you're not telling somebody how to live the Christian life. You're sharing what Christ did to uh, make salvation possible. So that's what we. It's one of the, it's the third fact. We also another fact is that the prophecy of Acts. I mean, the, the tongues of Acts 2, according to Peter, were a part of Joel's prophecy. And we know this because he quoted Joel's prophecy. Okay? Again, we don't have to make this up going, where did, where did you come up with that stuff, Scott? Well, I'm not really coming up with it. I'm just helping you see what's in the Scripture. Okay? So we knew this was going to be a sign. The Old Testament said when he pours his Spirit out, there would be a sign. And this idea of speaking in tongues was clearly a sign. All right, it's almost getting hot here, isn't it? I hope we didn't screw it up. You're on it, Mitch. You know the only thing that we do. See, we'll blame it. We'll blame it on Johnny if anything happens. He's running in the room. It's pretty interesting. Well, I think because no, we won't do that. We won't do that. Point five, Acts 2.4. If you look at Acts 2.4, I'm going to slow down for some of these because they're very, very important. Acts 2.4 says this, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Interesting point. The fact is that tongues according, uh, excuse me, the people spoke in tongues after the Holy Spirit came on them. 2.4 is very important. The people in Acts 2, folks, never asked for tongues. They never requested tongues. They did not go through any kind of process. They didn't pray to receive tongues. They didn't ask for it. God sent it. So the phenomenon of tongues in the book of Acts 
is not something that was conjured up. The reason why I make this point to be very solid is that a lot of the movement of the 1890s into the early 20th century, a lot of the mandates in the writings of McPherson and some of the other Thompson and some of the other early uh, Pentecostals were, they exhorted people to pray for the gift of speaking in tongues, like happened in Acts chapter 2. Well, my issue with McPherson and Thompson and some of the other writers of the early Pentecostal movement is they did not ask for the spiritual gift of tongues. It was given to them. Okay? That's, that's the point we're trying to make right there. See if we can find another one. Uh, it was sent with a purpose. Let's see if we... All right, the Acts 10 passage, the, the fact here is that God authenticated his message of inclusion to the Gentiles with assigned tongues, the kind you understand. Well, all I'm trying to do is make this, is, this is a point, that in the progressive nature of the book of Acts, when the gospel went to the Gentiles, God demonstrated the authority of that by giving this gift. So it is very clear that God used tongues to authenticate his authority. It's a fact. You don't have to deny it, but it, that's, that's how God used it. I'm losing my earpiece. I think my sitting down is more. Uh, number seven here. Uh, did we get them numbered? Do they used to have, my notes are probably, are they, are they letters or are they numbers? Well, you forgive me. I had a very interesting happen to me when I tried to get this in to have it printed. My uh, my second set of notes that include all numbers and everything got locked in a server, and it was all released uh, Thursday night, about eleven o'clock at night. So I had all these emails coming in and going out. Somehow my server got stuck. So all my transmittals of the entire week were were stuck on a server someplace. So. The only way, they, these were my, my early notes, that's why they were letters, so forgive me for that. Uh, but number seven is Acts 19 teaches the careful dissemination of truth. When we were going through this, I pointed out to you that by the time we get to Acts 19, we have Gentiles that are trusting Christ, but have no theological training. And so what we have here is that we have Paul authenticating his message to them by the, the the use of tongues and the laying on of hands. Um, and this, was the, this is the last time we see it in the New Testament. Okay? That's kind of important. Because when we're talking about being a major part of the life of a Christian, it becomes very, very quiet at this point. Okay? Let's see if we can find another point. Whoops. All right, 1 Corinthians 7. 12.7. Let's go over 1 Corinthians for some of these next points. The point here is that all spiritual gifts, if you say, what's the point of a spiritual gift? If you've had any teaching or if you've studied spiritual gifts, you understand that it's God's giving to the, His gifts, unique set of gifts to the church for the body so that we can take care of one another. That's the... That's the the significance of a spiritual gift. It's pretty interesting the way it's described because it's referred to the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us 
are like the gifts that are the, the spoils that are given after a Roman victory. And what I mean by that, all of this is paralleled when the Romans captured a new country or a new city. It would uh, take prisoners. It would plunder what it had. It would take its art. It would take its resources. And then in a caravan, it would enter back into the cities of Rome as a triumphal entry. It was a great picture of saying, look what victory has done. And the way they would do it, they would lead with the prisoners that they brought captive. And then the second part of this caravan or this parade would be people displaying all the gifts and the spoils. And then out of the gifts and the spoils of the victory won, the Rome, there would be certain Romans that would take these gifts, would take some of these spoils, and they would take them out of the victory, and that they would hand them to people that were standing in the crowd. These gifts were a sign of the victory, as well as a blessing to be the people, to be a part of the Roman government, the Roman world. They got to participate in what their armies accomplished. Pretty interesting picture, isn't it? And then you had the picture of the guard there and all this. Well, when it refers to us getting spiritual gifts, when the Scriptures refer to us getting spiritual gifts, it uses the same imagery as that Christ won the victory for us. And as part of the victory that Christ wins for us, God gives gifts to those who are part of God's family. They participate in the body. And now, Paul, in this, as well as in three other passages, the four passages that refer to spiritual gifts in the New Testament. Who knows the other three? Anybody? Ephesians? Ephesians what? Ephesians 4. Very good, Mitch. Uh, Where else are you going to find spiritual gifts? Romans 12. Okay. And if you had one more place to find spiritual gifts, where would you find it? Sign that man up. He needs to teach an equipping class. That's right. Those are your four passages, guys. You can write that down. Anytime you want to talk about spiritual gifts, those are your 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. Okay? Only place you're going to find tongues is going to be in what passage? What do you guess? 1 Corinthians 12. That's correct. The others are written later and they don't even talk about tongues. I surely would. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. Okay? These are all tidbits you get just for coming. You don't pay any extra for that. I'm really so excited that you guys are. So, um, where are we? So, this is dissemination of the truth, this idea that the tongues. Uh, number eight, there are spiritual gifts for the common good of the body. Paul wants us to understand that the gifts, as the spiritual gifts part, uh, and we talked about their, the, this, that uh, tongues could be different than, than that, and we'll talk about that again here in a second. But what we know is that the spiritual gift of tongues was supposed to be for the body of Christ. Number nine, the ability to speak in tongues was a spiritual gift, 1210. Let's look at 12.10. See what that says. Okay. 
he was going through that whole list and he said to faith, same spirit, to gifts of healing by spirit. Keep in mind, this is in the same gifts as healing. So tongues and healings in this passage would be treated the same way. And to another, the effecting of miracles, performing miracles. To another, prophecy. That's a good one. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. To know which one of the good guys and the bad guys. To various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. So we know that this is a, the ability is a spiritual gift. In this passage, it is put in the same category as healing, doing miracles, speaking and prophecy. A spiritual gift uh, is teaching a spiritual gift. Is teaching a spiritual gift? Do you all know that to be true? Yeah, you have to look at another passage, but it says teaching. Does it say showing hospitality can be a spiritual gift? Sure can. Ministration. There are a lot of things that are we are told in Scripture are spiritual gifts. In this First Corinthians passage, it includes some gifts that aren't used in other passages, which indicate a little bit that it could be the gifts that were given to help the church get started. And by the end of the time, we're not seeing these same gifts used in the same way. As many contend that. I think there's a good argument for that. That doesn't mean that those gifts could not exist. But it probably means they're not used as regularly as they were in the early church. That we can be sure of. And when we say that there are spiritual gifts and they're good for the body. See if I got so that the ability to speak in tongues being a spiritual gift, 1210, is governed and defined like all spiritual gifts. If you have, if let's say Mitch has the gift of uh, hospitality, and he has the spiritual gift of hospitality, are there any special requirements that Mitch needs to exercise his spiritual gift of hospitality? Does, he, does the wind have to be blowing out of the right direction? Does uh, no? He can should be able to use hospitality on demand. We call these kinds of rules an engagement. If Brent has the spiritual gift of administration, should can Brent be an administrator one day? Could does he have the gift of organization and all that one day and then not have it the next? Probably not. Blake Holmes, uh, our equipping pastor, has a spiritual gift of teaching. Should he be able to teach on one day and not teach another? No. He should be able to teach upon demand because that is his spiritual gift. Just as I said, administration or heal, or, uh, uh, hospitality. So these other spiritual gifts, I will contend, once this list that we just read, I believe they were used the same way in the New Testament. I believe the spiritual gift of healing or prophecy, or tongues, or anything else, were a spiritual gift that could be used on demand. Because they were gifts given by the Holy Spirit for the edification of the church. Which is pretty interesting, because let's, talk, let's put tongues and healing in the same deal. The illustration works better. If we have Jared with the gift of healing, what should that mean if it's the same gift that Blake has for tongues? Should he be able to heal on demand? If it's his spiritual gift. 
That's what we say, that the gifts should be governed by the same way that we view or govern. Govern's a little harsh. It it's just kind of helps you put it in, you know, kind of frame the issue. But it should be the same. You view the same way we view hospitality or administration or, or teaching. In other words, if Jared has the gift of healing, he should be able to walk over here to Med City and I'm, he and I should be able to go down the hall and Jared ought to have a heck of a time and we're really going to have fun watching God do what God does through your spiritual gift. Because that's what we do. Yeah, and to your point, and I will support that with you, that your giftedness that the Holy Spirit gives you might also be passionate about administrative, but it is a spiritual gift to make an eternal difference. There is a reliance on the Holy Spirit. Blake could teach car mechanics or he could teach the Scriptures. Uh, and you're right. Just because he gifted something doesn't make, it, make an eternal difference. And, but I would just say, when I say on demand, it means that you can use that gift when it's a, you are not dependent on other sources out there to determine whether or not you can use your spiritual gift. Your effectiveness, to Brent's point, is always 10x when you're relying on the, on the Holy Spirit to use your giftedness. So I would I totally agree with that. I can I, I teach stuff in in my business all the time that's totally uninspired, but because I teach, I can be somewhat effective. Well, yeah, and your effectiveness is is relegated to right to be nothing. But our point here is that a spiritual gift is something you can use with relying on God with doing, but you can use it, uh, use it when it's needed, and that's what you see in some of these passages. Let me grab a couple more for, for time's sake, if I may. Um, I said all, the fact that all gifts are important, but Paul prioritized which gifts are being to desired first. He went through this whole list of everything, but he went back to it and said, listen, as a body of believers, there is a priority to the giftedness that you should desire for your fellowship. And what he was talking about is there are things like teaching and leadership and all these other things that if you don't have those things, you don't really have a body. And so what he wanted the Corinthians to do is to major on the majors and minor on the minors. And his whole point there, which if we can say anything else, is that tongues, whether it's in whatever form you think is out there or may be out there, and I think can be out there, it's still a very minor role compared to the other roles that God has. And Paul makes that point in 1 Corinthians 12, 31. Uh, in fact, not everyone, even in Paul's days, spoke in tongues. This is important for to understand whether you're into tongues or not into tongues or, or whatever definition you give it. You cannot deny the fact that not everyone speaks in them. And this is important because this refutes bad theology that says that you've got to speak in tongues to be saved. And that's why I brought, put this point in here. There are some schools of theology in Christendom that teach you must speak in a language that you don't know or in audible or, I mean, or in, a, in some kind of communication that's not known by you as evidence that you are saved. That's bad teaching. And there's one of your verses that would support that. Uh, here's a passage I'd like to spend a couple of minutes on. 
First uh, Corinthians thirteen eight through ten, and then called the cessation of temporary gifts. Uh, better than half of orthodoxy believes that these gifts stopped um, somewhere. Be- the argument is between seventy A.D. and ninety A.D. Some believe they stopped. Uh, with the great dispersion when the Jews were uh, chased out of Jerusalem and they were scattered all over North Africa and Southern Southern Europe. Um, That period of history is known as the Great Dispersion. And that is where Israel was dismantled, not to be mantled again until 1946, which explains why a lot of people did not embrace any theology that had to do with the nation of Israel for 1,900 years. Y'all following me on that? That's a big deal. That's why eschatology took the turn it took for so many years. No one believed there was an Israel to which Jesus could return. Okay. Well, a lot of people feel when that happened in 70 A.D., that the temporary gifts, the gifts of prophecy, the gift of tongues, the gift of knowledge, the gift of healing, the gift of a number of other gifts which Jesus used in people to authenticate his message, stopped. A big part of the church believed it stopped because they just didn't see the role moving forward. And the school of theology that embraces this is, is pretty much an orthodox group of folks. In other words, the church hasn't varied much since 90 A.D. to this perspective. Um, And the reason is, they completed the New Testament, so they didn't have to have somebody telling them new things of God. In the book of Revelation, we are told that no one is to add to the Revelation. That if anybody is to add to it, Mitch is going to go back and play with his thermostat again. Hang in there, Mitch. I'm just going to quit here in a minute. So anyway, that's where this argument comes from. And I would say that it's predominantly true. Whether it's that God doesn't use it anymore. Guys, I can't sit here before you in great conscience and say it's absolutely not used. I can't do that. Um, Because I believe God is free to continue to use and do whatever He wants to do. And I would believe and I would argue with you that, that this could happen in the world today. What I would like to argue with you is that much of what you see today is not the New Testament representation of tongues. Do I believe it could happen in Africa or or China or South America or New Guinea? Absolutely. Do I see a lot of that? No. But that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And all I am asking you to do is to view what you think to be tongues through the grid of Scripture. The folks that embrace this are not evil at all. They've got a great argument. But I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not totally there. Okay, that's an honest deal. And many of us uh, would you know, kind of disagree on whether or not it could be out there or not. What we all agree is that whatever you see out there, you need to push through the grid of the Scripture, through these facts. Languages. There's order to it. There's a purpose to it. Blake. Okay, I'm going to get to that if I may. May I? Can I? We'll catch that in, in stride because I think that's one of the points I've got here on um, prayer language and stuff. 
fact, if you'd like, I'll let you answer it if you wanted to, since, since I think you want to. All right, anyway, let me, because of the, uh, gifts are given to edify the body, but tongues are to edify the individual. This is the great point that Brent brought up earlier. And what I would like to say about this is the purpose of the spiritual gift of tongues is for the body of Christ. If there is a tongues out there that is not edifying the body, it is interesting that this question by this passage is left unanswered. I cannot make the conclusion from this passage what the purpose of self-edification would be. To your point earlier, this passage doesn't help us. It leaves us to speculation uh, because it does not talk about other gifts for self-edification. So, and Paul doesn't look to be a big fan of self-edification. But nonetheless, the scriptures in this passage do not say that self-edification is... Uh, something south. Yes, Brent. Well, Brent, wait a second. You're, you're, you're throwing so much out there. And you're going to lead your... Because a lot of that stuff needs to be uh, addressed, yes. Because I think, you know, contextually, if we get into all this, the trouble is we got into 1130. If we want to get through all this stuff. But we need to address a couple of these issues. First of all, the whole idea of edification. When he's talking about spiritual gifts, he is making the argument, the whole purpose of spiritual gifts is to edify the church. That's the purpose of these three chapters. He's talking about prioritizing them. He's talking about the place. And if he says anything about all about the gift of tongues, he is putting it at the very bottom of the list. And, and he also says that he would rather do all these other things than speak in, in tongues when it doesn't edify even himself, when, it, when it, he doesn't even know what he's saying. He says it's like making a noise that nobody else goes... You've got to let me get to have some order to all those points because you threw out about seven of them. So let me keep charging through and we can, we can stay as, as long as we need to on some of this other stuff. Okay. Well, let me get a couple more points and then we'll go back and we'll spend our... We'll, we'll conclude talking about chapter 14. Thank you. Is why one would edify himself. Because the passage doesn't, doesn't answer that why one would edify himself. Because there's nothing else in the scriptures that self-edification is not something that Paul ever promoted. He just never promoted it. Why you would build up yourself. You know, when Philippians 2.3 says, when you consider one another is more important than yourself, I think that the whole teaching in the New Testament is that other people are more important. And for him to make an argument that's important to edify yourself, that's the only thing he says there. I think uh, exegetically what you'd come up with when you're through with that is saying, and, that, and that's not a good thing. Not that he would say, no, you're going to be finished, because we'll talk more. Because well, Let me get through some more stuff here. He said, and you like this verse, Paul wished that all could speak in tongues. Uh, verse 6 says why he would be beneficial, because it's crucial information. So why, do you, why would he want everybody to speak in tongues? Because there would be no hindrance to the gospel. He's not asking that everybody speak in tongues so they have a special language. He's just saying that there wouldn't be any more obstacles to communicating truth. In Corinthians, you have, you know, hundred different people speaking hundred different languages. Anyway, there would be no slowdown to the gospel. So the idea of not having the hindrance of language would, would really delight Paul. So, sure. Uh, there's, no, there's no reason to think that he wouldn't want people to keep speaking. Uh, he also says this, verse, uh, verse 10, it says that tongues should always have an interpretation. 
And, and this is where he started to go contrast. He said, well, if tongues is going to have an interpretation, how do you get the idea of it, that there's just a switch over and all of a sudden we're talking about a prayer language here when he never talks about a prayer language in this passage? What, he talk, what he's talking about is the spiritual gift. The whole context is spiritual gift. Desire earnestly speaks by but, especially those who prophesy. The one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands. I think that could be taken that way, but in the context of talking about spiritual giftedness, you know, he's, he's not stopping to address what it means to have a prayer language. You're trying to build a whole theology around that one deal. What he is simply saying is that if you speak in this language that is contrary to people understanding and interpreting, then, then how does that fit into edifying the body? Okay, well, thank you, because I don't want to vilify it. I would just say that that doesn't seem to be where Paul is going when he's talking about spirit, since the whole context is talking about spiritual gifts for the benefit of the church, that he doesn't want to stress the idea of building. His focus is not building yourself. The emphasis is building, so building up the body of Christ. That's what he's been talking about. So, so thank you. No, vilifying would not be, I think it's a little bit too strong, but I would say that that is not where he's going with this passage, that he wants to uh, glorify it either. He is trying to glorify the gifts as they're used in the body of Christ to a very immature church. He's trying to get people to quit focusing on themselves and focusing on the body of Christ. Yes. And, and by the scriptures, you're saying you're, you're contending that speaking tongues is to speak a language, is a prayer language, or would you say it's a foreign language? So would you say that praying in English would make more sense? It would to your mind. Like you... To your mind, but when you're praying, are you not trying to communicate with God what's on your heart, both praise and prayer and need? And what would be a mystery of the Spirit that's not spelled out in the Scriptures? Well, but I don't think that... You see, this is the problem again... I keep forcing us back to look at the context of him trying to just to talk to a very immature church that has a lot of this tongue stuff going on from different religions. And so what he was trying to say is that the purpose of this giftedness has to do with the edification of the body. And that's why he keeps stressing an interpreter. He keeps stressing your mind. And he does not want to lose people over the edge to chase things because if you don't understand what you're doing, he says there's great danger in that. I mean, orthodoxy would take... And that's why the church has always said, you know, when, you're, when you get off into things, how do you know what you're channeling? Because we know that there are different cults. When I did, was out in San Francisco and I was engaging... And to try to understand a little bit about the, the church of Satan and all that kind of stuff. And one of the most prevalent things that they did was speak in tongues. And they said, you know, we're channeling truths that we don't understand. And, and what resonated with me was going back to the Corinthians and going, sheesh, was Paul not saying be careful about channeling things that you don't understand? It's more important to have five words that your brain understands than to be involved in this thing because it goes into a different category. I think... And I would argue fervently that when Paul said, I wish you all spoke in tongues, he was talking about not a prayer language, but he was talking about the ability to communicate the gospel so that there wasn't a hindrance. 
And the fact that he said, I wish that, you know, that I do. I do believe he had the ability on the streets. And because his own argument, he said, I'd rather understand what I'm doing. I don't think he ever made an argument, Pauline, theology, any of his books, any place, that he made an argument for a prayer language. The reference, because we're going to be running out of time, we'll run over to Romans 8 when you're talking about, again, there are so few verses to build the theology of a prayer language, Brent, I would just caution us doing that. I'm not saying, again, because I cannot speak to all of that, but I will tell you that the preponderance of Scripture does not support that. That that groaning with things too deep for words, the Romans 8.26 passage that you that have done it. Well, I can touch it because the Scriptures touch it. Exegetically, it talks about when you are confused and you don't know whether to go here or marry this person and you're going, Lord, I don't know what to do. I need you. And the Holy Spirit says they intervene. When your child has been diagnosed with something or dies or, I mean, just whatever it is, and you are beyond words, it says the Holy Spirit comes in and ministers to you. It is the exact same word, and everybody track with me since I'm throwing, I'm, I'm dump trucking on you now. That word groaning is exegetically is taking exactly the same word that four verses earlier when it says the whole of creation groans and cries out for redemption. It basically it is, it is using the same thing, saying, you know what, everything is messed up, God, I don't get it, I need you. It is, it's a broken heart. It, and it's not a language, it's, it's an expression of a broken heart that is being communicated. So that, this one verse in there, and I, I, you guys make a point of that. That, that um, 1 Corinthians 14, first verse there, that third verse. Or a second verse, excuse me. Uh, it does seem to indicate that you're talking to God. I'm going to give you that. I'm just going to say that, the, that this argument of this passage is not one that, should be, that can be used exegetically. Excuse me, I keep using that word. I'm very sorry. Will you forgive me for that? It's not a word contextually, that, uh, 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 a theology that contextually can be supported from this passage. What Paul is trying to support is that gifts or to edify the body. And if you're going to use the gift of tongues, have the right priority for it. And the right priority is long after all these other priorities, and it should include an interpreter. Is there significance in that? The preponderance of scholars will tell you that it means it's a language, or it could be languages, or speak in a language that you did not know would be singular. Languages would be... Multiple tongues. Gift of tongues would be the ability not just to speak in Swahili, but it would be Swahili, Chinese, whatever the need called for. Let me throw a couple of these on there just for time's sake, just, and then we'll go back and, and talk about any of these other things you want to in our remaining time. I, you know, I argue that Paul does not support public prayer language from 1 Corinthians 10 because he says it's more important to, that passage is more important to be involved with. Uh, yeah, there are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, but no kind is without meaning. Uh, and his idea of praying for something that you don't know what it means or that you don't personally understand, I don't think Paul supports a prayer, the prayer language, at least from that passage. Uh, so Paul did speak in tongues, that's a fact. And we can assume it was not a violation of any of the directives that he's given via the Holy Spirit. I don't think that Paul goes against any of the things that he has said. I think he did speak in tongues. 
And I think he wanted other people to speak in tongues. All of that is true, folks. Don't, don't try to push that aside. It is absolutely true. Uh, 14.22 says this. Uh, so then tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign. And not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Talking about the distinguishing of gifts there. But the purpose of being able to do tongues is for uh, unbelievers according to this verse. And then he does, he says, when, when tongues are used in a church, and again, this is a big part of, of uh, some of the stuff you see on TV or supposedly is a New Testament tongues. He's very clear what he says about tongues in uh, verses 26 through 23. But he makes these two points. He said, when it is done in church, that only two, and, two or three are supposed to do it, not a whole bevy of people. And then that there also must be an interpreter. He does give ground rules if it's going to be used in church. So when you see something is done in church that does not follow these ground rules, then it's your, your decision to make. Romans 8.26, this is something we jumped ahead to. So it speaks to the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the believer when he or she is in emotional, physical, or in spiritual pain. That whole passage is just a terrific one. But I'd also have you compare the four verses in front of that, which refer to all of creation. It's, the, uh, it's a parallel passage. Uh, a point I wanted you, again, a fact, is that no scriptural exhortation to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, is, as taught by the letters of Paul, is something that happens to you at the point of salvation. There are four things that happen to you. Well, actually, there are more than four, five things, but I'll give them to you real quick. Again, this is a footnote. When you become a Christian, when you put your faith in Christ, we know that at least five things happen to you via the Holy Spirit. First thing is it regenerates you. It makes you a new creation. Two, Jesus indwells. Uh, that would be uh, um, creation of Christ. Second Corinthians 5.17. Uh, the second thing is that He indwells you. This is 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 6.19 where it talks about your body being a temple of the Holy Spirit. Three, He baptizes you. He identifies you with the finished work of Christ. Four, the Holy Spirit seals you which gives you your eternal security. And then five, He gives you spiritual gifts. If you've been paying attention, that spells out the word ribs. That'll help you remember what happens to you when you, be, when you get saved. Regenerates and dwells, baptizes seals, and then gives you gifts. Uh, but in that, all, all the teaching of Paul, nowhere are you exhorted to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That uh, after the book of Acts, after they have got the church started, you don't see that anymore. And I'll say there's no uh, scriptural support that tongues is a key to victorious Christian living. There are, there's some literature out there that will tell you that it is the ability to speak in tongues that will unlock your walk with Christ, that will take you to new depths or heights in your journey with Christ. And I don't think the Scriptures adequately teach that. I think the Scriptures uh, teach uh, about 20 great one another passages. I think this, the Scriptures teach about dwelling on things and how to live and to be Christ arms and feet and mouth to uh, minister to orphans and widows. It does a lot of things. It gives us a lot of encouragement. 
But nowhere in there does it say that speaking in tongues is the key to, to spiritual life. All right, so these are the frequently asked questions. You have those in your deal. We were going to break up in uh, groups and do this, but I guess with time running out, we'll just, you just need to know these are your questions. What are tongues? Well, from the Scripture we've looked at, we know that they're languages that are spoken and interpreted. We know that, that you generally don't have anything to do with the origin of it, that you didn't know how to do it before, or speak it before it started. We know that it's a sign. It was a sign that God gave both to the unbelieving Jew and then his authentication to the Gentiles. What is unclear in, in his thing today, uh, what, what are tongues relevant today? And you would answer that based on what you know to be tongues to be. Well, it can be. Uh, there's been some discussion, at least with Brent and I today, that there's another tongues, uh, a prayer language um, that obviously a portion of the body of Christ believes is a very real and active thing. And I will tell you that I don't see great support for it. Brent does. We looked at the passage that, and you can explore it more for yourself. We invite you to do that. Uh, I think what, is, what would be really important, though, is that uh, you take Paul's admonition that you don't major on a minor at whatever level you take that. I think Brent's nodding his head in agreement with me that we don't want to make a minor a major. Um, and I always make a big deal out of it. I would never, 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 I say this in one of my last points, break fellowship over somebody that we have a disagreement over that. As far as tongues as a sign of spirituality, as a sign of salvation, as a sign of spiritual blessing, I'm fighting to the death on You follow me? I'm trying to help you understand what's to fight for and what's not to fight for. Okay? You know, you don't have to see things the way I do when it comes to the to the issue of prayer. Just know that it's a very minimal deal in the scriptures, and that you know I I have loved the spirit with which you've brought it up, and uh, I think it's I think it's been a great contribution to our discussion here. So so thanks and and all that. But I always wanted to make it clear that that's you know, not the other side of which is the bigger issue of the orthodoxy of its role in the life of a believer as a spiritual gift. What I die for? Yeah, can I, can I do that in my last kind of, that be my last, because I'm going to come back to that. We're going back and forth. You guys are freezing and sweating. This is getting hysterical. I said, does everyone speak in tongues? The answer is no. Uh, and it's, you have a good conversation with that. You got you got all these things to talk about, uh, knowing the difference between a gift and a sign, in uh, the conversation of First Corinthians fourteen. Are tongues a second blessing? No. But you can have that good discussion. You know, if you can't support it from Scripture, keep your mouth closed. That's what I tell all of my folks. Jared knows how I feel about that. If you can't answer answer it from the Scriptures, beg off. Say, I don't think so, or I hope not, or whatever you want to. 
Don't become an authority on something the Scriptures are not an authority. Uh, are tongues necessary for salvation? Don't think so. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 makes a great argument for that. What about my experience? You know, I think your experience had to be evaluated by Scripture. Uh, and I think what we know could happen in a church, we can be a lot more dogmatic about. What happens privately? Again, I'm going to give a wider berth to I don't necessarily have to agree with it or those with me. But I think we can all agree that the Scriptures are really clear on what takes place in church and what's known as the spiritual gift of tongues. Ken, should I pray in tongues? Uh, gosh, I'm going to say that that's not going to be a necessary thing on the basis of Paul. Others are going to disagree with me and that's going to be okay. All right? They speak in tongues on TV. What are they doing? Depends on what they're doing on TV, folks. Don't, don't, do, don't broad stroke this stuff, okay? What we've tried to do this morning is to show you its inception, its history, its view of Scripture, and where it's evolved to, and, and then currently how it's being viewed by some parts of the church. That's okay. Evaluate what you see by the Scriptures. Don't do the other way around. Don't make Scriptures validate an experience. Again, I will take you, if you want to hear people speak in a language they don't know, I can expose you to that. And you will feel a little lost if you don't have the Scriptures to govern what you see going on. Okay? Can I have fellowship with believers who embrace some form of tongues? Yes. That was the question. We want to get back to Alan. What I said about this is that if... Somebody tries to take the spiritual gift of tongues and make the gift something different than what we've talked about for the last two hours. Then I am going to disagree with them and I'm going to take issue with them. I am going to take issue with them. Anybody that thinks that it's a sign of being more spiritual than somebody else. I'm going to take issue with anybody that says it's a sign of the baptism of the Spirit. That's bad. That's not good teaching. That's not good theology. And I'm going to take issue with anybody that says you have to speak in tongues to be saved. And I say those things specifically because that is some of the teaching of the charismatic movement. It's not all the teaching. There are as many different charismatics as there are Baptists. There are as many different charismatics as there are Bible church people. So don't get in the deal of lumping everybody together. Move carefully. Love solidly. And you use the Scriptures. It's what He's given us. Yeah, we don't have people running around interpreting new, because we don't need to. But we do need to become students of this book. And you work hard to become a good student of this book. Uh, he says, I want to be like Paul, and he spoke in tongues, therefore I said, you know, I want to be like Paul too. Uh, just understand what I think he was doing there. And again, if, if there are others that think that that was because he had a, a prayer language, I can't necessarily endorse that. But that's not, I'm not pitching the baby out with the bathwater on that one. I like the idea you want to be like Paul. Go for it. Okay? And this is a, just a summary of that. Here's my conclusion. I said the, scriptures, how the Scripture has spoken clearly in what role tongues play or played in the life of the follower of Christ. We can make certain statements regarding tongues based on the absolute teaching of the Scriptures. Those facts, I tried to include about 22 today, 
are crucial to our theology of tongues. Regarding the areas where the scriptures are unclear, then we too need not be dogmatic. What is certain is that when the scriptures and experience contradict one another, then the burden is on the evaluation of the experience rather than manipulating the word of God. This is, what, this is my encouragement to all my brothers and sisters in Christ. The word of God is the thing that is solid, not my experience. Therefore, I ask everybody, whatever it is, yeah, push what, how you think, push how you act, push how you view history through the grid of Scripture. It's a great ally. You know, it's very comfortable, the discussion, even when we didn't agree on everything today, where did we go? It went to the Word. You know, and, that, and if the battle is to be uh, discussed between believers, let it be on the, on the Word of God, not on my opinion, or not on my experience, but, but rather what the Scriptures teach. So, I can't tell you enough. I mean, my heart is so heavy that we as believers continue to grow. I have this, this, this passion and this issue that people get to a certain point in their spiritual journey and they think they've learned enough, including me, and we're going to coast for a while based on the theology or the books or something that I have read. The walk with Christ is dynamic. It is a growing relationship. And we don't need to be stalled out at age 8 years old. We don't need to be stalled out at 13. And we don't need to be stalled out at 50 either. We need to continue to pursue Christ to be the men and women He's called us to be. And the, the two greatest weapons that He has given us is His Word and community. And I say get the heck after it. Let me pray for us and then I'll excuse and if you want to hang for a while we can do that. Father, thanks for loving us with an indescribable love. A love that penetrates and pierces, that prods us, that comforts us, that challenges us, that awes us. The fact that you have made us know uh, life and life eternal. Thank you, Father, that you've brought us out of darkness, that you've revealed yourself to us through your Son, that you've quickened us and made us alive in Christ. May we live alive, Father, by depending on you today. That we take those gifts you've given us, that we depend on you to use them as we build up one another, that we glorify you the way we love each other and thereby make the world around us wonder who our God is so that we can rush to tell them it's Jesus. So thanks for my friends and their commitment to you and your word this morning um, to grow and to learn and to be challenged and to to be scrubbed on an issue that uh, is just one of many that we need to be sharp with as we try to live effectively for Christ. Thanks for not leaving us where we are, Father, but your desire is to transform us, to make us a little more like Jesus. And I hope these last couple of hours have been a part of that. In Christ's name, amen.